We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 329 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, June 6th, 2022. Hope that you had a nice weekend. What was a glorious weekend weather-wise in the Washington, D.C. area? Uh, The Boston Celtics, they did not have a glorious weekend. A 107-88 loss at the Golden State Warriors on Sunday night. NBA Finals now even at one. How many blowouts now have we had in this year's NBA playoffs? It feels like 90% of the games this NBA postseason have been blowouts. Uh, Will this week be a glorious week for our commanders? Well, this is the final week of commanders OTA practices this offseason. Hard to achieve glory via OTA practices, but hey, if they're really good practices, who knows? Uh, Of course, this could be another eventful week for the commanders with Congress, as two weeks from Wednesday is this June 22nd congressional hearing, uh, which Congress has requested Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell to attend to discuss the workplace misconduct scandal. Of course, we also still could have stadium stuff with the commanders, so who knows? what this week will bring for our football team. I do know what this installment of the Al Galdi podcast will bring for our football team, a special and also anonymous guest. Uh, Next segment, the mysterious, the enigmatic Kyle Smith for GM. Yes, he goes by that moniker, Kyle Smith for GM. Uh, Kyle Smith for GM is a writer for Hogs Haven, which is the SB Nation side for the commanders. Uh, Kyle Smith for GM does not want his real name being used. I don't even know his real name, but if you read Hogs Haven, you surely have read the work of Kyle Smith for GM, and his work is really good. Uh, this guy is a smart guy. He's a critical thinker, and so we have a good commander's conversation for you coming up next segment. Uh, we will talk Carson Wentz, Uh, We will discuss whether the commander's offense will be more explosive this coming season. Uh, We will get into the commander's secondary, including who exactly is the nickel corner for this coming season. Uh, We will explore the commander's situation at linebacker. We will examine where we are and where we're headed with Ron Rivera as commander's head coach and a lot more. 
Uh, the Nationals, they had a nice weekend. Uh, their best weekend, heck, their best three-day stretch at any point of this season so far. And I know that that's not saying much, but that is saying something. Uh, but for the Nats, three wins over the final three games of a four-game series at the Cincinnati Reds, uh, who, yes, are a really bad team themselves. Uh, the Reds are back to having the worst record in the National League. The Nats now have the second worst record in the NL. But also for the Nats over the weekend, three very encouraging starting pitching outings for the team's AAA affiliate, the Rochester Red Wings, over three days. Steven Strasburg, Cade Cavalli, and Cole Henry all doing well. I have a lengthy Nats segment filled with positive Nats items later in the show. Uh, the Orioles, on the other hand, did not have a good weekend. Uh, we, in fact, got some really bad news regarding starter Grayson Rodriguez on Sunday. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, per MLB Pipeline, is the number one pitching prospect in baseball, and he now could be done for the season with what has been diagnosed as a grade two lat strain. Uh, also, the O's lost two or three games to the Cleveland Guardians at Oriole Park at Camden Yards over the weekend. So yeah, a bad weekend for the O's. I'll talk O's late in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. A tweet from The Spear on my conversation with NFL analyst and Commanders fan Samuel Gold on Friday show, episode 328, uh, during which Samuel provided an excellent breakdown of Carson Wentz's final two games with the Indianapolis Colts last season. Uh, I think the primary reason that the Colts decided to trade Wentz, and of course ended up trading him to our commanders, is that Wentz did not play well over the Colts' final two games last season, and those two games ended up costing the Colts a playoff spot. Week 17, a 23-20 home loss to the Las Vegas Raiders. Week 18, a 26-11 loss at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Writes the Spear. Great podcast with Samuel Gold. Context on Wentz's last two games. He played the Raiders five days after testing positive for COVID. And the Colts have not beaten the Jags on the road since 2014. Matt Hasselbeck, Andrew Luck twice, Jacoby Brissett twice, Philip Rivers, and Carson Wentz all lost. Uh, thank you for the tweet, The Spear. Uh, you are correct on both counts. Now, Carson Wentz was only on the Colts' reserve COVID-19 list late last season for a few days. Uh, the Colts placed him on the list on December 28th. The Colts activated him off the list on January 1st. So such a short stay on the COVID-19 list suggests that he was not symptomatic. And so that seemingly would lessen the likelihood, at least, uh, if not completely eliminate the possibility uh, that COVID played a role in when struggling as he did in that home loss to the Raiders. And remember what Samuel Gold told us on Friday's show, Wentz actually was worse in that Raiders game than he was in the Jags game. I found that interesting. Uh, and yes, the Colts, for some strange, bizarre reason, have had problems in games at the Jags for years. The Colts have not won at the Jags since September 2014. That really is remarkable. Email from Wendell Hicks on Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform having requested that Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell appear at a hearing that'll be taking place on June 22nd. The hearing about the commander's workplace misconduct scandal writes Wendell, thank you for doing such a great show every morning in Goldie-like rhythmic fashion. <laughs> Your show is always the first one I listen to every morning. Well, thank you, Wendell. Continues Wendell. So Snyder and Goodell have been asked to appear before Congress. There's a better chance to see leprechauns on unicorns chased by gargoyles than Dan Snyder voluntarily appearing on Capitol Hill. They will most certainly wait for the midterm 
midterm elections in November and know that after January, any congressional investment will die. As much as I long for Snyder to be gone, any other strategy would be foolish. On another note, are we getting close to the Orioles getting close to taking over the Nat spot on the show? LOL. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for the email, Wendell. So today is Monday, June 6th. Uh, and today is supposed to be the day by which Dan and Roger respond to Congress's request that they appear at this hearing on June 22nd. The letters that the committee sent to Dan and Roger request confirmation of attendance at this hearing by June 6th. So we'll see if Dan and Roger comply, not just with attending the hearing, but with giving an answer to Congress Uh, regarding attending the hearing by today, by June 6th. Uh, But Wendell, I do agree with you. Uh, I do not expect Dan to attend this hearing, uh, nor do I expect Roger to attend this hearing, although there's a better chance that Roger will attend this hearing than there is that Dan will attend this hearing. Remember, Roger works for the NFL owners. Roger is a puppet for the owners. When the owners tell Roger to jump, he responds by saying, how high? Uh, Dan, I'm sure, wants nothing to do with this hearing. I mean, the idea of Dan appearing before Congress and taking questions from Congress and being berated by Democrats in Congress, that that would be such a wild scene, man, okay? The theater would be incredible. Uh, But Dan, of course, wants no part of that. And all he has to do is say no to avoid that. What's going to be fascinating is if Congress will choose to use its subpoena power if Dan declines to attend the hearing. Remember, Congress has requested that Dan attend the hearing. Congress has not subpoenaed Dan to attend the hearing. And as for me talking Orioles before I talk Nationals on the podcast, well, this is a Washington, D.C. sports podcast. And while there still are many, and I mean many, O's fans in the D.C. area, contrary to what some people want you to think, uh, the Nats are D.C.'s team. And so it would take a lot for the O's to move ahead of the Nats in the oh-so-prestigious rundown for the Al Galdi podcast. But, but, if the O's say next season are in a pennant race and the Nats still are rebuilding, uh, then yeah, the O's moving ahead of the Nats in the oh-so-prestigious rundown for the Al Galdi podcast could happen. I believe that I've only talked O's before I talked Nats once before, and that was for the show the day after John Means threw his no-hitter at the Seattle Mariners, now two Cinco de Mayo's ago, May 5th, 2021. If only buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area was as fun and as laid back as a Cinco de Mayo fiesta. Well, if you work with the great Kellen Hunt, your experience of buying a home in the D.C. area will be not unlike enjoying a cerveza at a Cinco de Mayo fiesta. Visit closeitwithkel.com. That's closeitwithkel.com, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You know, the Washington, D.C. area real estate market is hot. Homes are going under contract quickly after they are listed, and that and low inventory mean that if you're wanting to buy a home in the D.C. area, you need a smart realtor who can put together and offer that wins. This is where Kellen Hunt comes in. He wins. Kellen Hunt understands the Washington, D.C. area real estate market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want and then get you what you want. No matter your age, family situation, or financial situation, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to local neighborhoods, economical development, schools, market conditions, and all that makes the Washington, D.C. area unique. And 
Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you the buyer get a piece of the action. You see, Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing and he wants to help. So visit closeitwithkel.com. That's closeitwithkel, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit closeitwithkel.com. Book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt at closeitwithkel.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, remember, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. All right, so the Commanders this week will conduct their third and final batch of OTA practices this offseason. The practices will take place Monday through Wednesday, June 6th through the 8th. Then next week, we'll have the mandatory minicamp, June 14th through the 16th. And then we'll have about a six-week break until Commanders training camp. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now a special and mysterious guest. He is a writer for Hogs Haven, which is the SB Nation site for the Commanders. He goes by the name Kyle Smith for GM. And yes, he is aware that Kyle Smith is no longer with the team. Kyle Smith for GM. He operates in anonymity, but he's written some really good stuff for Hogshaven. He's a smart Commanders fan, and it's nice to have him back on the podcast. Kyle Smith for GM. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Al. Appreciate the opportunity to get on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. So this is the first time that we've spoken since January. A lot has happened uh, with our team since then. It has a new name. Uh, The team is uh, further enveloped in scandal. The team is being investigated by Congress. We have the stadium situation, but there also has been a lot with actual football. Now, a big topic when we last spoke was the team's pursuit of a franchise quarterback. That pursuit ultimately resulted, of course, in the trade for Carson Wentz. Uh, how would you describe your outlook on the Commanders having traded for Wentz and now having him as their starting quarterback? So in terms of Wentz as a player and trying to acquire uh, some vet talent there, I, 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 I'm on board with that trade. I was on board with the trade. My issue at the time, and I still have a little bit of issue with it, was I, I did think the team overpaid for him given the fact that Ursay was so loud about the fact that they were going to cut him. So um, the question became, is the team you know, negotiating against itself essentially uh, in terms of trying to acquire him in, in a second and a third and a trade up in the second and you know, all these other contingencies, including his salary, seemed like an awful lot to pay for him. But the reality is, if he works out, um, you know, even that price is going to be pretty reasonable. If he doesn't work out, then, you know, there'll be lots of lots of Monday morning quarterbacks um, saying we overpaid for him, for sure. But, but I think in the scheme of things, uh, in terms of what was available, I, I think it, it was a reasonable decision. Um, as a dug into Wentz over the course of the past several months, uh, you know, I mean, we, I think most of us Washington fans remember that 2017 Wentz who was on a, you know, an MVP pace who at his best, you know, looked really incredible. Um, but of course he's, he's had some uh, bumps in the road since then. And I think, you know, his game, his playing style is, is really curious to me. Um, I, I wrote an article a couple months back about how it really looked like he, he did his best or he does his best when he's 
when he's on the move in the pocket. And again, we saw that old Carson Wentz when he played for the Eagles, where he was always escaping, you know, Ryan Kerrigan and scrambling for 20 yards down the field and those kinds of things. But this question of, you know, if we give him a better offensive line, and I think we probably do have a better offensive line than the Colts did, um, is he going to be able to play well because he's got time in the pocket? That's not for me, like a totally answered question yet. I'm not sure that the best Carson Wentz is the guy who's got three seconds back there behind a, a robust offensive line. I think he's got to learn to make some different kinds of decisions than he has in the past. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the takeaways from what Pro Football Focus has done is that the most consistent thing about a quarterback's performance is his performance in clean pockets. Like year to year, that's something that tends to stay consistent. I remember that piece that you wrote back in April about Carson Wentz being at his best on the move. Um, Obviously, you're not suggesting (laughs) that he's better off if the offensive line is bad, but the idea would be that Scott Turner needs to scheme it up so that Carson Wentz is on the move. Absolutely. Uh, right. You obviously don't want to have a situation where he's running for his life because yeah. the offensive line is breaking down. But if you can scheme him up so that he's, uh, you know, bootlegging or scrambling out to, to just, you know, use his legs to open some things up, uh, that seems to me, like from the from what I've seen, that that's how he's going to function well. I just think maybe him sitting back there um, like a statue behind the po- pocket uh, isn't doesn't lead to him making his best decisions. I mean, it's it, it, Wentz is an interesting character. He's incredibly bright. You look at his Wonderlic scores and that kind of thing. And sometimes I wonder if maybe he's just not overthinking things when he has too much time. You know that he's sort of better um, in a in a quick reaction framework than he is one where he has time to to overthink his decisions. Yes, uh, the old uh, paralysis by analysis theory. Uh, Something that comes up every Washington offseason now is the need for more explosive plays. Uh, Scott Turner got asked about this during his post-OTA practice press conference this past Wednesday morning. Uh, Washington has finished 24th or worse in the NFL in explosive passing play rate per sharp football stats in each of the last four regular seasons. You recently had a piece for Hogshaven titled Bombs Away Take Two. Washington's offense appears poised for explosion in 2022. Will this coming season finally be the season in which our team has a good number of explosive plays, especially explosive passing plays? Yeah, of course, that, that, that article is basically a redraft with some updates from an article I wrote last year. <laughs> I came on board because, because I felt like Fitzpatrick was a good match for that kind of offense, yeah. you know, where he was a really deep, deep, a deep throw passer, and of course he went down in the first game. So um, I do, I feel like uh, Wentz is well situated to that. I think that at its heart, that's what Turner wants to do, and I also think we've got some wide receiver talent that's really well situated to doing that. I really hope that, uh, for instance, Diane Brown is able to take a leap this year, because I think, uh, for better or for worse, Taylor Heineke's game style was, was really antithetical to what Diami Brown would have thrived with. You know, I mean, it was just the sort of short, slow passes, um, and that that is okay for underneath work, but if you're trying to go deep, it's not really conducive to success there. We've all talked about, read about, heard about the Carson Wentz red flags and why the Indianapolis Colts traded him one year after trading for him and the commanders being Wentz's third team in three seasons and all of these reports that have been out there about his lack of leadership and lack of coachability and who knows what else. 
Where are you when it comes to the red flags of Carson Wentz? Yeah, if it were just one team, you know, I think I probably could look past it. But the fact that uh, it's happened now with the Eagles and the Colts, and and in particular, um, I've got a lot of respect for Chris Ballard as a general manager with the Colts. I, I do worry about it. You know, I mean, Carson seems to be saying all the right things in his his press conferences, and clearly, Ursay, you know, there's something like deeply um, uh, personal about his objection to uh, Wentz that that seems like it's more than just sort of football play on the field. Uh, and there's obviously been lots of speculation about the vaccination uh, disagreements and that kind of thing. But but I I think for until. Wentz proves otherwise, uh, I think I'm going to remain skeptical on that front. Of course, I hope it works out for the team, um, but I think he's he's got to show um, some personal growth this year, both in terms of his play style as well as his uh, ability to um, negotiate the politics of uh, dealing with coaching staffs and front offices and all that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, that makes total sense. I mean, my hope is that we're going to get a Carson Wentz who recognizes that his chance with the commanders may well be his last chance at being a true QB1 for a team. And so he wants to make the most of that chance. And so to whatever extent he's done wrong in the past, he's going to really try to do right uh, in this go round here with this team. But, you know, I would think that similar conversations were being had in Indianapolis a year ago. So we shall see. We're talking with Kyle Smith for GM, a writer for Hogs Haven, which is the SB Nation side for the Commanders. You've done a lot of stuff on NFL drafts. Uh, what'd you think about what the Commanders did in the 2022 NFL draft? It was really interesting to me. Um, I, you know, I think in terms of the picks, um, uh, I, I, the more I see John Dotson, the more I really like that pick. I mean, I think, you know, going into the draft, I, I was where a lot of people were. Well, he's a late first round, early second round pick. But but honestly, you know, there's so many people to review for the draft that I hadn't really had a chance to take a close look at him. And as soon as, you know, he was drafted and I did dig into him, um, I, I felt entirely comfortable that we picked him over somebody like Chris Olave or, uh, you know, some of the other uh, opportunities over there. I also really liked the trade back uh, in the first round in particular. Um, but, but what I'd say is where last year's draft seemed um, like a draft that was looking for a lot of growth potential in players. I mean, you know, you look at Jamin Davis and it seemed like he was probably going to take some development one way or another after he was drafted, but he maybe had a high ceiling because of his athleticism. Um, this year seemed to be more of a, let, let's get safe, uh, more senior players who can just sort of plug and play into our lineup. Obviously, Dotson, I think, is going to be able to be um, a day one starter. I think uh, Federian Mathis, you know, he's basically defensive tackle three at this point, and he was, uh, I think, a redshirt senior at Alabama, so that guy's really um, pretty uh, refined at this point. And then, of course, uh, Robinson, with the third-round pick, um, I think is going to be a plug-and-play player as well. So it felt like this draft was a little bit more conservative in that regard, Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how last year's draft, uh, those players developed over this year, um, and then how this year's players perform. I usually go back in after the the season ends to, to sort of look back at how players do, and that's always kind of fascinating. But but I, you know, I was pretty happy with this year's draft. I, I, I was a big, big proponent of taking a quarterback as a developmental option. 
And so, you know, getting Howell in the top, fifth round was was really a steal. I did a, a piece on on how to, and I mean, if you look at the things that his his college coaches say about him in terms of his um, desire to learn the game and, and pick it up uh, and get better, it's really really impressive. Of course, I hope he doesn't play here for a couple of years uh, because once is successful. But uh, but I think that was like a non negotiable um, draft pick there. Whether I was on the um, the Matt Corral train, but but I think how. Uh, he was up there too in terms of QBs I liked, and it sounds like he's doing pretty well in OTAs as well. So, so yeah, I think overall this draft, um, I've got uh, a lot of hopes for it. Um, whether or not uh, the players are going to be, you know, the, the best players at the positions they were selected, I don't know. But uh, I think if they're immediate contributors, at least the first three or four immediate contributors, that'll be a, a big bonus. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, with the commander's defense, so the lack of depth at corner to me is concerning. Now, if everyone stays healthy, fine, but like, what are the odds that everyone is going to stay healthy? And even if everyone does stay healthy, there's no obvious plan for slot corner. Uh, we know that Benjamin St. Juice during OTA practice, at least last week, was working some at slot corner. Uh, your most recent piece for Hogshaven is about whether St. Juice is suited to play the slot. How do you feel about the commanders at corner overall? And what do you think that the plan is slash should be for the commanders in the slot? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I thought there was a reasonable chance that any of the top corners um, slipped to Washington in this draft. They might take one, but of course, Sauce Gardner and Stingley went really early uh, in the draft. Um, and I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if next year maybe they use a first-round pick on a uh, corner, assuming quarterback, the quarterback situation works out. But but I think, um, yeah, for slot, um, my my gut says um, they're trying a Ben St. Juice out there, but maybe, um, maybe Bobby McCain ends up getting moved to uh, slot because he's played there in the past with the Dolphins. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it all depends on whether or not Percy Butler is in a position to, um, to play free safety um, early on. I mean, you listen to the things that Ron Rivera said about Percy Butler immediately after the draft, and you think he was talking about, like, a first-round or a second-round yeah. draft. Not a fourth-round draft pick when he's saying, you know, well, he's going to play at a minimum 53% of the snaps. Right. And I thought that was pretty incredible. Uh, you know, we'll see if it actually bears out, but... but Clearly, that's his intention, at least. So, um, it would, I think a lot of us would love to see somebody with speed and um, a real ability back there as a, a true free safety. Um, and again, with McCain, um, and you've got Danny Johnson. I mean, it's not they're not all stars, but you've got some options uh, at slot. And this Benson Juiced in the slot is interesting because he is he he. He's a big cornerback by any standard, but as a slot cornerback, he's you know gargantuan. So, um, will that work? I don't. I don't know. We'll see. I guess this offseason. Yeah, and with Benjamin St. Juice, you also have the concussion concern, and him having missed so much time last season due to concussion problems. You know, it's funny with those Ron Rivera comments about Percy Butler because Ron, with those comments, made it quite clear that he wants to go with the three safety look, the Buffalo nickel look, a good bit this coming season. You've written some about free agent linebacker options for the commanders. Um, you know, for all of the talk about the team needing to upgrade at linebacker, the team this offseason has done next to nothing at linebacker. And now with Ron saying that, hey, we want to go with a three safety look a bunch again this coming season, 
Has the idea that the commanders need to upgrade at linebacker been overrated? Or do you think that the commanders are making a mistake in not doing more at linebacker this offseason? Well, yeah, it's definitely one of those things that, that fans go ballistic over. You know, how can we not have three solid linebackers? Yeah. You look at the, the snap count for the amount of time that three linebackers on the field, and it's like single digits. So um, I think uh, if Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis can stay healthy, um, they're probably two pretty solid linebacking options. I mean, they're both incredibly athletic, uh, and, and Holcomb really has come into his own, I feel like, over the last uh, several years. I, I'd love to see the tank team maybe extend him this offseason, but uh, we'll see if that happens or not. Uh, and Davis, of course, is still a work in progress. Um, I also really wouldn't mind seeing Landon Collins come back you know, on a reduced contract, potentially, if they can get him to as a uh, more uh, full-time Buffalo nickel, you know, even though that's that's a um, sort of part-time role, but uh, but I liked him at linebacker. I, I really did not like him at safety. I thought that was a, a very poor choice. But I thought Landon, Landon at linebacker near the line of scrimmage was an asset to the defense. So we'll see if the team's interested. We'll see if, if uh, Landon's willing to swallow his pride maybe a little bit for um, a reduced salary, but. Um, I'm not. I'm not terribly worried about it. I, what I'd like to see is maybe some of the young guys who are in the wings, like Khalid uh, Hudson um, and some of these other players who are uh, younger, step up into sort of that uh, part-time role. Maybe Derek Forrest as a, a Buffalo Nichols possibility. I just I worry about somebody like Butler or Cam Curl going into that role and maybe being a little bit undersized and then uh, getting injured as a result of having to play a much more physical position. Let's do some bigger picture stuff. Uh, Ron Rivera has made it clear that this coming season, it needs to be a step forward season for the commanders. Do you believe that this coming season will be a step forward season for the team? I, I do. I mean, I, you know, I, we always do our preseason predictions when we get into the August time frame. And I mean, at this point, looking at the schedule, looking at sort of the talent on the team, I'm thinking, you know, like a 10 and 7, 11 and 6 record. And, and um, last year I was <laughs> I was way off in terms of my predictions. I thought the defense was going to be a lot better than it was. But, but that's where I'm feeling. I mean, if nothing else, because the schedule is very, very soft this year, um, especially compared to last year. Um, but I really do think, uh, assuming Carson gives us what we we think he's capable of. I think this offense is going to surprise a fair amount of people. I mean, I can't, you know, it seems like every time in terms of national media, uh, you see rankings, people have Matt Ryan several slots above Carson Wentz. And I would much rather have Carson Wentz than, than Matt Ryan. I mean, Matt Ryan was a great player several years ago, but it really feels like he's pretty spent at this point. And, and Wentz, you know, at 28, um, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to think he could find his groove again. Yeah, I think that there's an upside with Carson Wentz that you don't have with Matt Ryan. Now, I think you also could argue that there's a floor with Wentz that you don't have with Ryan. You know, I think there's a high variance here with Carson Wentz. But if he works out well, he could work out really well. And that's obviously what we're all hoping for. So with Ron Rivera entering year three as the head coach of this team, now known as the Commanders, do you think that we're ultimately going to look back upon Ron's tenure as head coach of the team as having been good, as having been a success, or do you think we're in the midst of a tenure for Ron that ultimately is going to be looked back upon 
as a disappointment. I feel like we're going to look back on Ron's time as um, as an improvement for sure, and I think we're going to see. You know, I, I see it ideally as a bridge um, to a better head coach a few years down the line. But I, but I've always felt like Ron needed somebody like Ron needed to be here because that was the only way you want to keep Dan out of the football operations. You needed to have somebody with a sufficient amount of gravitas and a sufficient amount of control uh, that they could keep Dan out of the football operations and build some respectability back to the franchise. I don't think Ron is likely to win a Super Bowl here, but I think if he gets this team and this uh, football culture back into, you know, uh, average to above average functionality um that will have been a win and i mean that's i mean in some ways that might be kind of a depressing view but you know anybody who's been a fan of this team for the past several decades recognizes how bad things were um for most of dan snyder's tenure so i think if if ron can um just restore some functionality to the way the organization operates that will um, had been a victory, and I, I think that's how we're going to look back on his time. I think he'll, you know, he'll get the team into the playoffs um, a couple more times before he ends up leaving. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened, but but I just think in terms of uh, you look at like the, the head coaching, you know, the geniuses, you know, somebody like Sean McVay or even Kyle Shanahan, those guys they're operating at a different level, honestly, than than Ron is, and that's not really a slight to Ron. It's just saying they're they're the guys who are really the top of the craft are rare, and um, at least recently they've been fairly young, and they probably would have been the guys, the kind of guys that Dan Snyder would have walked all over, um, you know, if they had just been here. So it's uh, Washington's franchise is unfortunately in a place where we can't really have nice things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's how I feel about it. I think that that's a smart way of looking at things. Final question, and this ties into what you just said. So Dan Snyder and all of the Dan Snyder stuff that has been swirling for so long now, right? The workplace misconduct scandal, the financial scandal, Congress investigating these scandals. Now we have this June 22nd hearing and what potentially could come from that. We, of course, have all of the ongoing stadium stuff. Do you think that we are moving toward Dan Snyder ultimately being out as owner of the Commanders, or do you think that he's going nowhere? I wish I could say I see him um, and and his you know family leading the ownership group, but I just I'm not going to believe that until I see it. I think right now the the back and forth with the various municipalities and the fact that Virginia seems to be getting cold feet in terms of giving him some incentives uh, is a very good sign, and it basically you know may leave him with the only option of sort of renovating uh, the FedEx site at the end of the day. And uh, you know I think he's He's got to do some um, some soul searching in terms of you know does does he want his reputation to be you know continue to be sort of the most reviled man in the the DMV or does he want to um, let this franchise that he supposedly loves so much go so that it can actually succeed and I, I just I, I don't <laughs> I don't think he's going to have that kind of uh, uh, internal revelation unfortunately based on his past experience but. Um, yeah, I think we're probably stuck with him unless uh, his wife can sort of talk him into, you know, this This is just not worth the hassle and, and sort of all the, the grief that we get. Um, let's just walk away with a couple billion dollars and you know, do something else with our lives. Yeah. But, 
Yeah. Go sail on a super yacht for a while. They could certainly <laughs> exactly. do that. Uh, Kyle Smith for GM, writer for Hogshaven, which is the SB Nation site for the Commanders. Lots of good content from Kyle Smith for GM and others at Hogshaven. Uh, I always enjoy our conversations. Thank you so much for your time and all the best to you. Thank you very much, Al. Have a good day. All right. Good stuff from Kyle Smith for GM from Hogshaven and good stuff from and for the Nationals over the weekend. Uh, There has not been much positive with the Nats this season. We did, though, have a number of positive developments with the Nats over the weekend and at both the Major League and Triple A levels. We'll get to all of the good news after this. Well, as we all know, uh, buying food isn't nearly as fun as eating food. However, HelloFresh makes buying food easy and affordable and makes eating food even more enjoyable. HelloFresh is great. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your home and at an affordable price. And not only do the ingredients come pre-portioned so that you're not overbuying or wasting food, but it's easier than ever to get filling meals on your kitchen table quickly with options like family-friendly and quick and easy recipes. Stop wasting your time worrying about when you're going to buy food and what you're going to buy and what you should make and what the kids will eat and how much the food will cost with inflation. And try HelloFresh. We've tried HelloFresh, and we love it. Uh, We've had a number of HelloFresh meals. The sweet chili pork and cabbage stir-fry, the Monterey Jack unfried chicken, the pub-style shepherd's pie, the saucy pork burrito bowls, the Italian chicken, the Southwest beef with pasta. I could go on and on. The meals are fun, creative, healthy, and delicious. Heck, even my four-year-old son eats HelloFresh. Usually, if it's not a peanut butter sandwich, he's not interested. But he likes HelloFresh, and I think that you will too. Also, HelloFresh has a great app, and you, with the app, can pick your favorite meals from 50 different weekly options. You can customize meals. You can skip weeks when needed. You can change your delivery date. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time, HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, we right now have a lot of uncertainty with the Nationals, right? Their ownership situation, uh, president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo being in the final guaranteed year of his contract, uh, manager Davey Martinez being in the final guaranteed year of his contract, the team being in a rebuild, the Juan Soto contract situation looming, a lot of uncertainty with the Nats right now. Well, with all of that uncertainty, here's something that we can say with certainty about the Nats. Their last three days were a lot better than the team's previous four days. Uh, The Nats last Monday through Thursday had a four-game losing streak during which they were outscored by 30 runs. 36-6 was the cumulative score during the Nats' four-game losing streak last Monday through Thursday. But the Nats, since then, have won a season-best tying three consecutive games, and the Nats on Sunday afternoon completed winning three of four games at the Cincinnati Reds in what was a battle of the two worst teams in the National League this season. Uh, Thursday night, an 8-1 loss, but Friday night, an 8-5 win. Saturday, a wild 10-8 win. The Nats in this game overcame a 7-3 seventh inning deficit. They scored seven runs over the final three innings, and then Sunday afternoon, a 5-4 win. Those last two Nats wins at the Reds especially were not easy, but the Nats got those wins. And so Davey Martinez has reason to be, wait for it, proud of the boys. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey, proud of the boys. Uh, the Nats this season now are 21-35. and 35, And also over the previous three days for the Nats were three positive developments in games played by AAA Rochester. Uh, more on that in a bit. But before we go any further, we must note this. Uh, the Reds ballpark, Great American ballpark, is a notorious hitter's park. It is what you call a bandbox of a ballpark. And so, not so coincidentally, a Nats team that has struggled mightily to hit for power this season hit for a whole lot of power in this series win at the Reds, certainly over the final three games. The Nats in their three wins in this series totaled eight home runs, including five 
on Friday night. Uh, the Nats in this series saw their three big guns. Juan Soto, Nelson Cruz, and Josh Bell deliver some big hits. Uh, Soto was the Nats starting right fielder and number three batter in all three games in the series. He over games two and three in the series, hit three home runs. Uh, Soto on Friday night, one for four with a solo homer and a walk. He and the Nats four-run third, had a one-out solo homer to right center field. The homer was the Nats' third home run of the inning. Now think about that. The Nats this season have gone like weeks without hitting three home runs. The Nats on Friday night in just one inning, a four-run third, hit three home runs. Uh, Such is life at Great American Ballpark. But Soto's homer was not necessarily a function of the ballpark. The homer per stat cast went and projected 400 feet and had an exit velocity of 110.3 miles per hour. That was a legitimate home run, as were Soto's two home runs on Saturday during which he went two for four. He had a solo homer and a three-run homer. Did strike out twice, but Soto in the Nats' three-run fourth had a leadoff homer to center field to cut the Nats' deficit to 2-1. The homer went a projected 423 feet per stat cast. And Soto in the Nats' three-run seventh smashed a one-out three-run homer to right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 7-6. That homer went a projected 419 feet stat cast. Uh, Nelson Cruz, he was an ad starting DH and number four batter in all four games in the series. He on Friday night went three for five with a solo homer and two singles. He on Saturday went three for four with three singles and a walk. And Josh Bell, he was an ad starting first baseman and number five batter in all four games in the series. He on Thursday night, two for four with a solo homer and an infield single. And Bell on Sunday afternoon, one for four with a two-run double. Uh, Bell in an at's two-run first, a two-out, two-run double toward the right field corner on a one-two pitch for a 2-0 Nats lead. However, to me, the best thing about the Nats series win at the Reds was the extent to which young players, potential building blocks for the Nats, did well. Uh, K-Bert Ruiz, Lane Thomas, Luis Garcia, Josiah Gray, all four guys, major contributions in this series. Uh, Let's start with Ruiz, who made the play of the series. So he was an ad starting catcher in three of the four games in the series. Now, he did not have a hit in the series, but he on Sunday afternoon as an ad's number seven batter did draw two walks and he made a defensive gem, a game clinching defensive gem. K-Bert Ruiz in the bottom of the ninth fired a bullet to first baseman Josh Bell to pick off Nick Senzel to end the game. Uh, This was a huge play because of the circumstance. You had the Nats nursing a one-run lead at 5-4. You had the Nats pitcher as Steve Ciszek as the Nats top three relievers, Tanner Rainey, Kyle Finnegan, and Carl Edwards Jr. were all unavailable due to each guy having pitched so much recently. And you had the Reds with runners on first and second. So this was a big spot. Uh, This was a bit of a risk, you know, to fire the baseball down to first base. And it's not like Bell was standing on first base. Josh Bell had to catch the baseball in an athletic manner to apply the tag to Senzel. Uh, The play got reviewed. It was tough to tell whether Senzel truly was out or safe because the infield dirt got kicked up. You had like this cloud of dust in front uh, of the first base bag as a play was being made, but there certainly was not enough evidence to overturn the call on the field, and the call on the field was that Senzel was out, and so that call was not overturned, and the Nats ended up winning the game. What a job by Kbert Ruiz. Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday afternoon on Kbert Ruiz. The boys play well, you know, Kbert and, um, and Josh, you know, we worked 
you know, they work, we work on that stuff in um, perfect timing. Uh, there was, was a great play, good heads-up play by K-Bear and, and Josh Bell to get us out of uh, that last inning. No doubt, the boys played ball, as Davey Martinez said. Uh, also, K-Bear Ruiz in the bottom of the fourth threw out Aristides Aquino on an attempted steal of second base for the third out. Uh, now, Ruiz in the game only went one of four on runners trying to steal, but I thought that a good bit of that was on the Nats starting pitcher, Patrick Corbin. Uh, and Kepa Ruiz, even with going just one of four on runners trying to steal on Sunday afternoon, he now this season is 10 of 28 on runners trying to steal. That's pretty good. Uh, some more from Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday afternoon on the defense of Kepa Ruiz. No, he's good. I mean, I told him, hey, so, you know, so part of it is, you know, you know, we, we got our pitchers got to be able to hold runners. Um, but he, you know, he uh, he's played really good defense, made some really good blocks behind the plate, you know, with Corbin. So, um, you know, I'm not worried about you know, uh, defense. He's pretty good back there. All right. Uh, also doing well for the Nats in this series, Lane Thomas, the Lane Train. Uh, he hit three home runs on Friday night. Uh, Thomas was the Nats' number two batter. In each of the final three games in the series, he was the starting left fielder on Friday night, then was the starting center fielder for each of the final two games in the series, as Victor Robles did not start either of the final two games in the series. Thomas on Friday night, three for five with three home runs and four RBI. Yeah, a three-homer game for Lane Thomas. This was just the seventh time that a Nats player has hit at least three home runs in a regular season game since the franchise moved to D.C. between the 2004 and 2005 seasons. Uh, Thomas on Friday night in an Nats four-run third, a one-out, two-run homer near the left field foul pole on a 1-2 pitch for a 4-2 Nats lead. Now, this home run <laughs> went a projected 349 feet per stat cast. That was it. 349. Again, Great American ballpark. But still, a home run is a home run. Uh, Thomas on Friday night in the Nats, one run fifth, a one-out full count opposite field homer to right center field for a 6-2 Nats lead. And Thomas on Friday night in the Nats, two-run seventh, a leadoff full count homer on a towering shot to left field for a 7-2 Nats lead. Uh, but Thomas wasn't done in this series. Thomas on Saturday, two for four with two singles and a walk. And he made a nice defensive play. Thomas made a good-looking sliding catch of a Tyler Stevenson flyout in shallow right center field for the second out in the bottom of the seventh. And then Thomas on Sunday afternoon, two for five with a double and a single. Uh, he did leave three men on base, but Thomas in an ads two-run first, a double to left field, despite having been down to the count at 1.12. And Thomas in the top of the seventh, a one-out single up the middle off red shortstop Kyle Farmer. Uh, Thomas in this series ended up going seven for 14 with three home runs, a double, three singles, and a walk. So yes, what he did on Friday night stands out the most, a three-homer game, but that wasn't the only thing that he did in this series. He had four hits beyond the three home runs in this series. Uh, and then there's Luis Garcia. Uh, so the book on Luis Garcia is clear. He can hit, but his fielding, especially at shortstop, is, shall we say, a work in progress. And this is why the Nats didn't call up Garcia from AAA Rochester until this past Wednesday morning. Well, Garcia in this series win at the Reds hit, but the fielding was, yes, a work in progress. Uh, so Luis Garcia was the Nats starting shortstop 
in all four games in the series. He was the Nats' number eight batter in games one and two. He was the Nats' number nine batter in games three and four. Uh, Garcia on Friday night, one for four with a double, but also a throwing error. Uh, Garcia in a Reds two-run first committed a throwing error on a one-out full-count grounder by Brandon Drury as Garcia on a slow roller like shuffled his feet multiple times, probably too many times before making a throw that pulled first baseman Josh Bell off the bag. But also for Garcia in this game on Friday night, top of the fourth, a two-out double to the right center field gap. Uh, Garcia on Saturday was big, three for four with an RBI double, a two-run single, another single, and an RBI sack fly. Uh, He in the top of the third had a one-out single to center field. He in the Nats three-run fourth had a two-out RBI sack fly for a 3-2 Nats lead. He in the Nats one-run eighth had a one-out RBI double to right field to tie the game at seven. And Garcia in the Nats three-run ninth, a two-out two-run single through the right side of the infield for a 10-7 Nats lead. And then Garcia on Sunday afternoon, two for four with an RBI single and another single. Uh, Garcia in the Nats two-run fourth with runners at the corners, a one-out first pitch RBI single through the right side of the infield to tie the game at three. Garcia in the top of the ninth, a leadoff single through the right side of the infield. But also in that ninth inning was a shaky defensive moment for Luis Garcia. So Steve Ciszek tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth for the save, despite issuing a leadoff five-pitch walk of Albert Almora Jr., and despite giving up a two-out full-count single to Nick Senzel on a play on which Garcia took just a bit too much time in getting off his throw from the outfield grass. I mean, Garcia on the play wasn't guilty of an error, and it's not like he did anything egregiously wrong, but his process was just too slow, and he ended up not getting Senzel out at first base. You know, it's tricky right now with Luis Garcia because in fairness to him, everything that he does defensively is under the microscope because everyone knows that the defense is the concern with this guy. And so you can almost see him when he's playing defense thinking too much and saying, okay, I got to do this and then I got to do that and I got to make sure I don't do this and make sure that I don't do that. And so it really does become paralysis by analysis to bring up that phrase again. Like it really does become he's thinking too much instead of just doing. And so you obviously need for that muscle memory to take over at some point here and for him to just do automatically. He's clearly not at that point yet. But Luis Garcia in this series was a significant offensive factor. He in the series went six for 15 with two doubles, four singles, and five RBI. Not bad, okay? Remember, he is starting at shortstop for the Nats because Alcides Escobar is on the 10-day injured list. When's the last time Alcides Escobar in a series had six hits, okay? Like, Luis Garcia already is a significant upgrade offensively over Alcides Escobar. Uh, The defense is the thing with Garcia, but you know, it's not like Escobar has played great defense at shortstop for the Nats so far this season. Uh, As for the Nats pitching over the weekend at the Reds, so Josiah Gray in game two was good. Uh, Gray in the 8-5 win at the Reds on Friday night, two runs, one earned in six innings, nine strikeouts. So here was another young Nats player, another potential building block for the Nats in their rebuild, doing well in this series. Uh, Gray gave up just two hits, a homer and a single. He issued three walks into wild pitch. He over 91 pitches, only threw 51 strikes versus 40 balls. But, you know, at the end of the game, two runs, one earned, six innings, nine strikeouts. Like, that is what matters. And uh, Josiah Gray was quite good in this game in terms of the bottom line results. Uh, Eric Fetty in game three struggled. Uh, Fetty in the Nats 10-8 win 
at the Reds on Saturday. Four runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. Uh, he recorded just one strikeout. And he, over his four and two-thirds innings, threw 86 pitches, 52 strikes, versus 34 balls. Uh, now, Fetty was coming off a really bad outing, a 13-5 loss at the New York Mets last Monday night. Fetty in that game, six runs in one and a third inning. So his last two outings have not gone so well. Eric Fetty now, over 11 starts this season, has an ERA of 488. As you may recall, Eric Fetty, through his first nine starts this season, had an ERA of 355, and we are only two starts removed from Eric Fetty having pitched quite well in a 1-0 Nats win over the mighty Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park on May 25th. Uh, Fetty in that game, six scoreless innings, six strikeouts versus one walk, gave up just four hits, two doubles, and two singles. His biggest problem is that he puts way too many guys on base, either via the walk or just via giving up hits. I mean, Fetty's whip this season, his walks plus hits divided by innings pitched, is 1.57. That is a very high whip. Uh, and consequently, the ERA isn't so good now. Uh, his ERA for the season now is at 488. Uh, again, it was at 355 just a few starts ago. And then Patrick Corbin in Game 4 was so-so. Uh, Corbin in the Nats 5-4 win at the Reds on Sunday afternoon. Three runs in six innings. He gave up nine hits, two doubles, and seven singles. But he had five strikeouts versus no walks. He threw 91 pitches over his six innings, 58 strikes versus 33 balls. Now, you know, I say three runs in six innings. It's almost like Corbin had two different starts on Sunday afternoon. He allowed three runs in the bottom of the first. He got off to a really bad start to his start. Uh, Corbin gave up a first pitch leadoff single to Nick Senzel up the middle. Corbin gave up a one-out full count RBI single to Tommy Pham through the left side of the infield to cut the Nats lead to 2-1. Although, Kbert Ruiz, for all of the good that he did defensively in this series, failed to catch a good throw from Yadiel Hernandez. And Nick Senzel uh, could have been out at home, ended up not being out at home. But uh, Yadiel in left field actually made a pretty good throw there. Uh, Corbin then gave up a one-out opposite field RBI double to Joey Votto off the left field wall to tie the game at 2 Corbin then gave up a one-out RBI double to Tyler Stevenson to left field for a 3-2 Reds lead. Corbin then gave up a two-out full count infield single to Albert Almora Jr. on a ball. That went off Corbin's glove. So a really bad bottom of the first. Uh, Corbin did, though, then settle down, although ultimately the only clean inning that Corbin had uh, was a perfect bottom of the second inning. But, you know, with the state of Patrick Corbin, you take three runs in six innings, you take five strikeouts versus no walks, and you run with those things. Uh, very mixed weekend uh, for the Nats' bullpen. So the Nats on Friday afternoon placed another reliever on an injured list. Uh, the Nats placed Josh Rogers on the 10-day injured list with a left shoulder impingement and recalled Andres Machado from AAA Rochester. And then you ended up having just a very up-and-down weekend for the Nats over the final three games of this series. Uh, the 8-5 win at the Reds on Friday night. You had four Nats relievers combining to allow three runs in three innings. Carl Edwards Jr. tossed the scoreless bottom of the seventh. Victor Arano in the bottom of the eighth faced four batters, but got just one out. But then Kyle Finnegan and Tanner Rainey got the job done. Finnegan in the bottom of the eighth faced three batters, got the final two outs. Uh, Rainey tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth. Didn't necessarily look great, but he got the job done and proved a six for eight on saves this season. Then in the 10-8 win at the Reds on Saturday, five Nats relievers combined to allow four runs in four and a third innings. The first and last relievers for the Nats in this game 
had problems. Uh, Jordan Weems, in particular, he was a complete disaster in the bottom of the fifth. He entered the game in the bottom of the fifth with runners on first and second, two outs, and the Nats leading 3-2. He promptly issued a two-out seven-pitch walk of Kyle Farmer to load the bases. Weems then issued a two-out bases-loaded 11-pitch walk of Mike Moustakis to tie the game at three, despite Moustakis having been down in the count at 1.02, and Weems then gave up a two-out grand slam to Albert Almora Jr. on a blast to left field for a 7-3 Reds lead. But then the Nats' bullpen became great. Uh, Paolo Espino tossed a perfect bottom of the six with two strikeouts, and he did this in facing the Reds' numbers one through three batters. Paolo has been so good this season. To me, the Nats should be using him in some higher leverage circumstances. Paolo this season now has an ERA at 210, Uh, But Carl Edwards Jr. then tossed a perfect bottom of the seventh. Kyle Finnegan tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth with three strikeouts. And then came Tanner Rainey in the bottom of the ninth, and he gave up a one-out solo homer to Brandon Drury to right center field to cut the Nats' lead to 10-8. And Rainey then gave up a one-out single to Tommy Pham to center field, despite Pham having been down to the count at 1.12. But Rainey ultimately did get the save, improving to 7-for-9 on saves this season. So a bit of a shaky weekend for Rainey, although ultimately he got himself two saves. And then on Sunday afternoon, with Rainey and Finnegan having pitched in each of the last two games, with Carl Edwards Jr. having been used quite a bit lately, the Nats were down their top three relievers in this game. And so Davey Martinez ended up using Victor Arano, Orosmo Ramirez, and Steve Ciszek, uh to close out what ended up being a 5-4 win at the Reds. Now, those three guys combined to allow one run unearned in three innings, but the results were mixed. So, Victor Rano tossed a perfect bottom of the seventh. He began the bottom of the eighth, but he was charged with a fielding error on a leadoff tapper by Brandon Drury, on which Ramirez got injured. Uh, he failed to catch the baseball with his glove, and then, in going back for the ball, uh, did something to his left leg and then crumbled to the infield grass. Uh, He was to undergo testing. The Nats weren't sure if he hurt his knee or his hamstring, so we'll see. It did not look good, though. I mean, Arano just, like, crumbled to the ground. Uh, Arasimo Ramirez then came into the game in the bottom of the eighth with a runner on first, no outs, and the Nats up 5-3. Gave up two singles, including a two-out opposite field RBI single to Tyler Stevenson to right field to cut the Nats' lead to 5-4. And then came Steve Ciszek tossing a scoreless bottom of the ninth inning despite putting on a couple of runners on base. Kbert Ruiz saving the day with his pickoff throw to get Nick Senzel at first base for the final out of the game. So the Nats have an off day on Monday. Then comes a three-game series at the Miami Marlins. Game one, Tuesday evening at 6.40. Yoan Adon will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Wednesday evening at 6.40. Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Thursday evening at 6.40. The Nats starting pitcher is TBD, as in to be determined, Uh, And that is code for Steven Strasburg, if he's feeling well. Uh, Steven Strasburg appears just about back uh, to being able to pitch for the Nats at the major league level. He, on Monday, is scheduled to throw a bullpen session. And if all goes well, I would think that Strasburg will be the Nats starter for Game 3 at the Marlins on Thursday evening. Strasburg on Friday night made his third minor league rehab assignment start and perhaps his final minor league rehab assignment start, at least for this minor league rehab assignment. Uh, Strasburg on Friday night in a 2-1 home win for the AAA Rochester Red Wings over the Buffalo Bisons, six scoreless innings, four strikeouts versus one walk and one hit. He over 83 pitches through 50 strikes 
versus 33 Bulls. Very good results. A second consecutive start for Strasburg in this minor league rehab assignment in which he had very good results. Uh, Strasburg, now two Sunday afternoons ago, May 29th, made his second minor league rehab assignment start uh, of this minor league rehab assignment. Uh, this came in a 7-4 home win for the Low A Fredericksburg Nationals over the Salem Red Sox. And Strasburg in that game, five scoreless innings, six strikeouts versus one walk and no hits, 58 pitches, 38 strikes versus 20 balls. His first minor league rehab assignment start here did not go so well in terms of results, but he felt well after the outing, just as he felt well after the second outing, just as he, at least as far as we know, has been feeling well after this third outing. And that's what matters as much as anything. So if he's feeling well after this bullpen session on Monday, then yeah, Steven Strasburg, every indication is, will be the Nats starter for game three at the Marlins Thursday evening at 6.40. And, you know, there will be like 15 people in attendance there because nobody goes to these Moreland's home games. But it's going to be a pretty big deal. Steven Strasburg making his first major league start uh, of the season of him having undergone the season-ending and career-threatening surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome last July 28th. We are still a ways away from saying that Steven Strasburg truly is back. Uh, Strasburg, over the previous two seasons, has totaled just seven starts, okay? Uh, his contract remains a complete disaster. This season is year three of a 70-year, $245 million contract to which he was re-signed in December 2019. He, of course, has a substantial injury history. He now is well into his 30s. This season is his age 33 season. So it's hard to be overly optimistic about Steven Strasburg, but um, this is a big deal that he could be finally making his major league season debut here coming up on Wednesday evening. Uh, but this was a big weekend for the Nats AAA affiliate, the Rochester Red Wings. I mentioned Strasburg making his start for AAA Rochester on Friday night. Cade Cavalli in game one of a doubleheader on Saturday for AAA Rochester was outstanding once again. Uh, Cavalli in a 5-1 home win for the Red Wings over the Buffalo Bisons in game one of a doubleheader on Saturday. One run in seven innings, 10 strikeouts, he gave up just five hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. He threw 93 pitches, 64 strikes versus 29 balls. Uh, so Cade Cavalli now, over his last three starts, has allowed a mere two runs in 19 innings with 20 strikeouts. Now, Cade Cavalli, over his first seven starts for Rochester this season, was not so good. Uh, ERA of 762. He has completely turned around his season in terms of what he did over his first seven starts versus what he has now done over his last three starts. Uh, MLB Pipeline ranks Kate Cavalli as the number 48 prospect in baseball. It sure is feeling like he's going to be called up to the majors sooner rather than later. We'll see. I mean, you never know what Mike Rosso was thinking about something like this, but Kate Cavalli has been one of the more well-regarded pitching prospects in baseball for a while. The Nats took Cavalli with the number 22 pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of the University of Oklahoma. This season is his age 23 season. He looks like you want your starting pitcher to look. He is listed as being 6'4 and 240 pounds. So Strasburg on Friday night for Rochester, Cade Cavalli on Saturday for Rochester, and Cole Henry on Sunday afternoon for Rochester. Uh, as you may recall, the Nats this past Thursday promoted Cole Henry from AA Harrisburg to AAA Rochester. Cole Henry's stock is soaring right now. Uh, the Nats took Henry in the second round of the 2020 MLB draft 
out of LSU. This season is his age 22 season. He, at the time of his promotion from AA to AAA, had been excellent for Harrisburg this season. Seven starts, 23 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 0.76, whip of 0.59, strikeouts per nine innings of 10.2. Well, Cole Henry on Sunday afternoon made his debut for the AAA Rochester Red Wings, and he did just fine. An 11-2 home win for the Red Wings over the Buffalo Bisons. Henry in this game, five scoreless innings. Now, he wasn't necessarily dominant, but uh, five scoreless innings are five scoreless innings. Uh, He had three strikeouts versus three hits and a walk. He threw 57 pitches, 36 strikes versus 21 balls. What is very exciting to think about from a Nationals perspective right now is this. Within the next, say, I don't know, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever the time frame ends up being, you could have Steven Strasburg, Cade Cavalli, and Cole Henry all pitching for the Nats at the major league level. Now, big if, a lot of things have to go well. Let's see what transpires. But in this season in which the Nats are among the worst teams in the majors, And in this season in which the Nats have been among the worst teams in the majors, while playing a number of players who you know are not true building blocks, who you know are not here for the long haul, the idea, especially with Cavalli and Henry, that you have two young starting pitchers who are doing well and could soon be doing well for the Nats at the major league level is a great development. And if you throw into that mix Josiah Gray and he is on the right track, that the Nats potentially could exit this season with not one, not two, but three rising young starting pitchers in Josiah Gray, Cade Cavalli, and Cole Henry. Boy, would that be great for the Nats. We'll see. We're not there yet. We may not get there. But you know what? We may get there. And we had some signs over these last few days that getting there may well be something that transpires this season. So like I said, this is not a good season for the Nats. There's not been a lot of good news for the Nats this season, but these last few days, we've had some really good developments here for the Nats, and hopefully we have some more on the way. So whereas the Nationals ended up having a good weekend, the Orioles did not have a good weekend. And the bad weekend for the O's starts with this. Grayson Rodriguez now may well be done for the season. Uh, Just terrible news. So it was last Wednesday night that Rodriguez in a 9-8-10 inning home loss for the AAA Norfolk Tides to the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp tossed five and two-thirds scoreless innings, but he left the outing due to right lat discomfort. Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias this past Thursday said that Rodriguez would be out for, quote, probably a decent amount of time at a minimum, and, quote, Elias on Sunday revealed that Rodriguez has suffered a grade two right lat strain and could be done for the rest of the 2022 season. Now, it's not definite that Rodriguez is done for the rest of the season, but that certainly seemed to be the way that Mike Elias was talking on Sunday. Quote, I mean, the timing of this really stinks is all I can say. He was basically at the point of checking every box you could think of in terms of his minor league work. I think that he's shown that if he's healthy and himself, we want him to be in a position to help this team next year out of spring training 
end quote. One of the really exciting things about the Orioles' 2022 season was the prospect of Grayson Rodriguez joining the major league team. Grayson Rodriguez has blossomed into being the top pitching prospect in all of baseball. MLB Pipeline ranks Rodriguez as the number three overall prospect in baseball and the number one pitching prospect in baseball. The O's per MLB Pipeline have two of the top three overall prospects in baseball because Cantor Adley Rutschman is number one. Grayson Rodriguez this season for AAA Norfolk, 11 starts, ERA of 209, whip of 0.84, a strikeouts per nine innings of 12.86. He has been outstanding and now his season could be over. Now the good news is that his season may be over, uh, not due to, say, an elbow injury or a shoulder injury, okay, a right lat injury you can live with, but still, this is an injury, and it's severe enough to where it could cost him the rest of this season. Uh, This season is Rodriguez's age 22 season, so we'll see what happens here, but not good news, not good news at all when it comes to to Grayson Rodriguez. In the meantime, uh, the Orioles at the major league level. So the O's for most of the second half of the month of May played a brutal stretch of 15 consecutive games against teams in the American League East. And the O's admirably went seven and eight in those games. But the O's so far in an eight-game homestand are just two and four, uh, including losing two or three to the Cleveland Guardians at Oriole Park at Camden Yards over the weekend. Friday night, a 6-3 loss. Saturday, a 5-4 win. But Sunday afternoon, a 3-2 loss. The O's this season now are 23-33. and The Orioles' offense was really bad in games one and three in the series. I mentioned Adley Rutschman, the phenom. Uh, he continues to not hit like a phenom at the major league level. Now, I am not panicking, okay? You've got to give a guy time. But the truth is the truth. His results so far at the major league level are not good. Rutschman was the Orioles' starting catcher in games one and three in this series. He went 0 for 4 in each game. He now, over 57 major league plate appearances, has an OPS of just 424. Now, he is hitting some balls really hard, so there has been an element of bad luck in all of this, but the results clearly have not been there so far. Again, it's early. Again, we are far from you know being at a point at which we should be panicking over Adley Rutschman. Uh, An offensive bright spot for the O's in this series was Trey Mancini. Boy, is he on some kind of a tear right now. Mancini on Friday night as the Orioles starting DH and number two batter. Two for four with a two-run double and a single. Mancini in the bottom of the six, a two-out single to left field to end a no-hit bid by Guardian starter Shane Bieber. Mancini in the Orioles three-run eighth, a two-out full count, two-run double, to left field. Mancini on Saturday as the Orioles starting first baseman at number two batter. One for three with a solo homer and a walk. He in the bottom of the first smashed a one-out first pitch solo homer to left center field. The homer went a projected 438 feet per stat cast. And then Mancini in the Orioles three-run third drew a one-out four-pitch walk. Uh, look, with Trey Mancini, there are sort of two ways to be looking at this. A, is Mancini doing well, right? Everyone loves Trey Mancini. He got off to a slow start this season. He's on a roll right now. But B, if you're being honest about things, Trey Mancini has been a trade candidate for a long time now, okay? And given his age and given his contractual status, I have always felt like the Orioles should be open to trading Trey Mancini come the August 2nd 
MLB trade deadline. And the fact that Mancini is playing so much better, uh, I think, only heightens his trade value here. So, you know, he may well be playing his way out of being on the O's. And maybe the O's were always going to try to trade him anyway. But the fact that he's doing better right now is good news. And it's good news on a variety of levels uh, for the O's. Trust me on that. Uh, Also, Austin Hayes, uh, he on Saturday has the Orioles starting left fielder and number four batter, one for four, with a three-run homer. Uh, Hayes in the Orioles' three-run third blasted a two-out three-run homer over the left field wall, which Orioles legend and Masson in-game analyst Jim Palmer refers to as the Great Wall of Baltimore. I love that. Uh, The homer winner projected 411 feet per stat cast. Uh, That's a new left field wall at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. In case you don't know, uh, the wall has been moved back. The wall has been raised up. A lot of Orioles batters are not happy about that wall. Well, Austin Hayes homered over the wall uh, in that game on Saturday. He has had a very good season for the O's. Ryan Mountcastle on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles starting first baseman and number four batter. One for three with a two-run homer and a walk. Mountcastle in the Orioles' two-run fourth, had a one-out two-run homer. Mountcastle in the bottom of the eighth, a two-out eight-pitch walk, despite having been down in the count of one point, one-two. But otherwise, not much happening for the O's offensively in this series. We are still waiting on Orioles center fielder Cedric Mullins to get going this season. Also, a lackluster series for the Orioles starting pitching. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman in game one struggled for a fourth consecutive start. Uh, Zimmerman in the 6-3 loss to the Guardians at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Friday night. Five runs in five and two-thirds innings. Now, the good news is that he did not give up any home runs off having allowed a jaw-dropping nine home runs over his previous two starts. Actually, a fear was that Zimmerman was tipping his pitches, so he actually changed his delivery for this outing. Uh, But the bad news with this outing was that Zimmerman gave up 10 hits, two doubles, and eight singles. Now, he did issue no walks, but he recorded just one strikeout. Uh, He did throw 63 strikes versus 24 balls over 87 pitches. But this now is four consecutive bad outings for Bruce Zimmerman. A 9-6 win over the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on May 19th. Zimmerman, five runs in five innings. Zimmerman in a 7-6, 11-inning loss at the Yankees on May 24th. Four runs in six into third innings. The four runs came on four solo homers. And then Zimmerman in a 12-2 loss at the Boston Red Sox on May 29th, six runs in four innings. Zimmerman gave up five home runs, tying an Orioles franchise record for the most home runs given up by a pitcher in a regular season game. This is the same guy who over his first seven starts this season had an ERA of 272. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman has fallen off a cliff over his last four starts. Got to get him back on track. Tyler Wells in game two of this series only lasted for four innings. Wells in the 5-4 win over the Guardians at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Saturday. Two runs in four innings. He gave up just two hits, but they were both solo homers. He issued two walks, recorded just one strikeout. He threw 42 strikes versus 20 balls over 62 pitches. Now, Wells overall this season in making this transition from relief pitcher to starting pitcher is doing a pretty good job. 11 starts, ERA at 378, but he was not at his best on Saturday. And then we had the return of Dean Kramer in Game 3 of this series. Uh, The O's on Sunday morning reinstated Kramer from the 10-day injured list, which he'd been on since April 11th, retroactive to April 8th with a left oblique strain. Uh, Dean Kramer had almost become a forgotten man. He missed nearly two months 
with this left oblique strain. He suffered the left oblique strain while warming up in the bullpen during an 8-0 Orioles loss at the Tampa Bay Rays on April 10th. Tyler Wells was the Orioles starting pitcher in this game. He was supposed to be doing a tandem start. Well, the whole tandem start thing with Tyler Wells never really materialized. Wells lasted for just one and two-thirds innings. He allowed four runs in the one and two-thirds innings, and Dean Kramer got hurt while warming up in the bullpen. Well, Kramer in this 3-2 loss to the Guardians at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Sunday afternoon, three runs in four and a third innings. He gave up five hits, a homer, and four singles. He issued a walk and a wild pitch. He recorded three strikeouts. He threw 67 pitches, 46 strikes, versus 21 balls. The big blow came in the top of the first, uh, during which Kramer gave up a two-out, three-run homer to Andres Jimenez. Otherwise, Kramer was actually pretty good in this start. Here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on Dean Kramer. Yeah, he threw out the first inning. He was great. Um, just, you know, one bad, mis- you know, kind of a changeup that kind of flowed. together got a little too much plate, but I thought he threw the ball extremely well. Really encouraged by... Um, so I thought I saw a lot of improvement from last year. Good fastball all the way throughout. Um, good curveball. You know, good changeup. He li- he likes his cutter. His cutter was good on occasion, um, but really competitive and you know bounced back really nicely after giving up that three-run homer there early. But uh, very encouraging outing. Yeah, Dean Kramer is someone who you really would like to see work out for the O's. This season is his age 26 season. The O's acquired Kramer from the Los Angeles Dodgers in a trade package for third baseman slash shortstop Manny Machado in July 2018. Kramer last season at the major league level for the O's made 13 starts, totaled 53 and two-thirds innings. He had an ERA of 755. He really struggled at the major league level last season. The O's during the 2021 season twice demoted Kramer to AAA Norfolk and maybe the single worst outing by any Orioles pitcher in any game last season was a Dean Kramer start. Uh, this came in a 9-0 Orioles loss to the Toronto Blue Jays in Buffalo last June 24th. Kramer in that game, six runs recorded just one out. Yes, six runs in a third of an inning. Uh, No game for the O's on Monday. Uh, They next have a two-game series against the Chicago Cubs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Tuesday night at 7.05. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game two, Wednesday night at 7.05. Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 330, will feature plenty on the commanders. Now, today, Monday, June 6th, is supposed to be the day by which Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell respond to Congress's requests that those two gentlemen appear at this congressional hearing on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, The hearing is set to take place on June 22nd, so we may have some big news on Monday. Uh, Also on Tuesday's show, I'll have a special guest for you. Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington will discuss what our Wizards are thinking with the number 10 pick in the 2022 NBA draft, which will take place 
on June 23rd. The Wizards are conducting a bunch of pre-draft workouts these days. We'll also get into what the Wizards are thinking with their offseason overall. Are the Wiz really about to give Bradley Beal a Supermax contract extension worth around $250 million, as in a quarter of a billion with a B dollars. Let that sink in. Uh, Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. The boys play well, you know.